2: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's episode of the 1871 podcast. And our special guest tonight is former Manchester United and Reading defender, Chris Casper, and Chris is currently the Director of Football at Salford City. And later in the episode, we'll be ta- uh, taking a look um, at the current Red side and looking ahead to Saturday's game against Blackpool. Now, I should just say that Dylan isn't with us tonight. He's on his way to Algeria for Marumo Gallant's latest CAFCON Cup game. Uh, he was kind enough to send me... He's gone via Dubai and he sent me a, a, a picture from the, the plane in Dubai, I suppose, just to prove that he's not trying to get out of this episode or something, I don't know. Um, so just to bring you up to speed, if you're interested in what's going on with Dylan, so his his new team, Marumo Gallants, they've won their first two group games and and they've actually won the first four games since he's he's been involved there. Um, so they're top of their, their group in the uh, CAFCON Cup. Um, so we send our best wishes to Dylan for Sunday's game. Um, but the ever-reliable Johnny Hutt is with us again tonight. Um, now, he's currently on the night shift at work, but he's taking a break to do this. Uh, and Johnny, I take it you're not having to hide in a cupboard somewhere, are you, or anything like that? It's
1: not far off it. I'm hiding in one of the, the spare rooms.
0: All right. <laughs> OK. OK. We'll uh, we'll see how we'll see how it goes goes and as you might be able to hear I've I've got a cold so my apologies if I sound a bit like a Dalek or if I start sneezing um, and Johnny if I go quiet at any point you can take over so uh, before I introduce our special guest I'd just like to say that our thoughts are with the family and friends of legendary sports broadcaster John Motson who sadly passed away at the age of seventy seven and I actually had the pleasure of meeting him when I was reported on marlowe during their great fa cup run back in the 1990s and while john will of course be remembered as a broadcasting legend he's also fondly remembered as a a warm and friendly person and that's certainly the experience i had of, of meeting him when i had the pleasure of meeting john so it's time now to introduce our special guest former reading defender chris casper welcome to the show chris how are you
2: yeah I'm good thanks Mark and uh, thank you for inviting me onto, onto your podcast.
0: Oh you're very welcome and we really appreciate you being on here. With us now we'd love to talk to you about your time at Reading of course Chris but I'd like to start by taking you back to your days at Manchester United, that's where you, you started in in the youth team and, and you came through United's youth ranks with the likes <laughs> of David Beckham, Paul Scholes and Gary Neville of course. you I, I believe you were part of the fa cup uh sorry the fa youth cup win inside weren't you and uh and you ca- you actually captained england youth team and i, I think have you got a under 18s euros medal as well is that right
2: yeah so we won the youth cup in 92 um beat pass uh, in the in the in the final and then the following year we, uh, we won the euros uh, for england in 93 obviously so um yeah, there were some good players around as well, some really, really top players around. So it was a privilege to, to be part of both those
0: teams. And, and I just want to ask you firstly, can you believe that that was 30 years ago?
2: No, no, don't remind me on that. It just seems like yesterday, 30 years ago. Wow.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and you were at uh, United at the same time as the current Reading manager, Paul Ince. Um, and I just wonder from your perspective, what was he like back then? You know, obviously, we we know what he was like as a player, but from your perspective, what was he like? Uh, and also, do you feel that that you learned anything from him that you were able to take into your career as as a player and a, a coach as well?
2: Yeah, we were sixteen. Oh, well, I was sixteen. Sorry, when I first met N C, um, he was a he just it signed a couple of years before um, from West Ham, uh, and he'd really. Sub- Entered himself into the into the team um from what i can gather of, of seeing, remember of him was very confident uh, very confident in his own ability but really drove standards um really good player obviously went on to play lots of times for for england um you know played for manchester united played for some unbelievable teams as well uh, into milan and then unfortunately I went back to Liverpool <laughs> that's a separate <laughs> separate conversation I suppose but it, yeah he it was, was a great guy um, very supportive of the young players as well um, you know if if you were on the pitch you'd always look after you off the pitch he'd always look after you um, yeah and a, and a and a genuinely good guy to be fair I always got on well with Paul and uh, yeah wish him all the best I came across him uh, when I was manager of Bury when he was manager of Macclesfield and uh, we had a a pretty good chat. We were both in League Two at the time and we both needed results at the end of the season. He did a fantastic job keeping Macclesfield up that year. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, but good man. Good man, Paul.
0: Um, and even though Dylan's not here, he's he's got a couple of questions for you that he wants me to ask you. So his first question, because he's actually secretly a Man United fan. Um, he liked to know what the dressing room banter was like with with the likes of, you know, your David Beckhams and Scholes and Neville and, and people like that. What Because obviously that dressing room banter is, you know, sometimes key to success and all that. What was it like at that time for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the dressing room, it wasn't a, there was no split, but it was a split in age, really. So obviously you've got the likes of... Bex and Nev and, and Butty and that. And then you got the older ones, you know, like Ince, Brian Robson, Steve Bruce, Mark Hughes, absolute legends of the game, Peter Schmeichel. Um, but there was never any uh, split with regard to the dressing room. You know, one, it, you, you, you had your closer friends than the other ones, obviously, but within the dressing room, you were treated equally because you were there to play for Manchester United. It didn't make a difference if you'd played hundreds of games or whether you were a young player coming through. That was the great thing about Manchester United was the culture that you were involved in. Um You know, everybody was made to feel part of it. It was a very close-knit dressing room and a very close-knit club for such a massive club. Um You know, so that's the way that it was. And anybody got a bit, you know, a bit above the station or didn't conform or anything like that was soon you know, put in the place, but there wasn't really any need for that because as much as, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson ran the club from top to bottom, the dressing room was something that he didn't really have to get involved in because he knew the strength of characters that he got in there, that they would basically run it how he wanted it to run. You know, Brian Robson, unbelievable character, unbelievable leader. Steve Bruce was the same. Obviously, Eric Cantona, um, so it kind of those kind of guys ran the dressing room with the respect that they deserved. Um, you know, as far as the bands is concerned, it's like a, probably a traditional dressing room where there's quite a bit of it flying around. Um, but you know, the, the most professional dressing room you could ever come across with regard to, you know, attitude, work, rate, work ethic, uh, setting standards. Uh, it, it was unbelievable, really. And I think that's why we had so much success, and you know, it was. It was led by by the manager. You know, he was, he was unbelievable. He set the highest of standards. And if you didn't follow and didn't, you know, want to be part of it, then, you know, you fell by the wayside. And I was fortunate to have, with my schoolboy years, I was fortunate to have 10 years there. And I'd like to think that it kind of shapes you, you know, in even if you don't go on to play many times for the first team, but it helps shape shape your life and shapes your career and shapes what you're about as a person. And there's no question that not just me, but I look at other players, who didn't come through the, the the system but were influenced by that culture and the manager, who've gone on to have you know really good lives and good careers because of the influence that he had.
0: Uh, and I just wanted to ask you about Yap Stam. I'd, uh, he went on to become Reading manager, you know, way after his time at Man United. Of course, w- was he was he there at the same time as you, or was w- did you, or, or if not, you know, have you have you sort of had any cause to sort of come across him at all? Yeah, Yap sat, Yap, started,
2: <laughs> Yap signed in uh, July 1998. Um, I left to come to Reading in, in September, October time. So there's was a bit of a crossover. Train with him regularly. Uh, seemed again a really decent chap. Um, real, real top player. You know, unbelievable defender. Um, you know, so, yeah, I got to know him a little bit. Uh, again, really good guy. Uh, always got on with him. And, you know, obviously, it uh, yeah, went on to, to be so successful with Manchester United. Probably been, should have stayed there a little bit longer than he should have done. But, um, yeah, seemed a really good guy, yeah.
0: Um, and obviously, we do want to talk to you about your your time at, at Reading. But, Johnny, do you want to come in? Um, what do you want to ask Chris about his time at United, if anything? I was just going to say about,
1: about like, I mean, you know, you hear about his reputation, but as a as a player, what what do you learn most from a guy like that as, as a manager?
2: Yeah, he's got this <clears throat> he got this fearsome reputation, and it, it, it's um you know the hairdryer and all the rest of it. I just totally respected him. I was never fearful of him. Um, I just respected him for what he was. I think he's he's um. His attitude to win was was the first thing, really. I mean, he would win, at, want to win at everything, and I mean, everything, five sides, and obviously in games and things like that. But really, really, ultra competitive. Uh, and again, that, I think that rubbed off on his teams. And um, he, he was just driven by standards. Everything was about standards. Everything was about, you know, it, it was it was a privilege. he Used to say, very, you know, regularly to 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 play for Manchester. United and it was you know the history and the tradition of the club and the great players that had gone before us. It was a, it was a privilege to pull the shirt on and play for such a, a fantastic club, Um, you know. And like I say, setting standards, he would be the first day in his work ethic, his attention to detail, um, you know, and just the way that he treated people. I think was was you know the the real thing. Whether you were a top international player or whether you you know you were. Working, you know, at the ground or on the door, or you know, you were a young player or whatever. He, he got to know you, and I think that was a really key thing to him. And that was the, the closeness that he got, um, and and why he was so successful, and why players, you know, would run through brick walls for him because he, he, he just didn't want to let him down. That was that was a great skill of his. One of the <clears throat> one of the things that I'll never forget. When I signed, I was still at school. Uh, and he he phoned home to to speak to my mum uh, about about me finding out about me and whatever he made the excuse that he wanted to know my date of birth my contract but really he wanted to know more about me and wanted to get to know my family he knew my dad through through the football and you know had a chat with my mum and you get your parents on side it it's a it's a very powerful thing that a manager and a coach can have and he was so good at absolute genius at stuff like that you know getting to know people and what makes them tick and you know probably uh some of the some of the lads and in, in particular he would know everything about you and what you got up to we were we were playing golf one day and he wasn't particularly bothered about the lads playing golf especially towards the end of the season and we tucked ourselves away somewhere we thought quite private and on the second hole, we got a we got a call off the, the club captain. Oh, sorry, he came down in the golf buggy and said, your manager's found out you're playing golf, you better get off the course quick. How he found out, I don't know, but those are the kind of things that he'd do and know where you'd be now on a night out and things like that. And he let you grow up, you know, he didn't stifle you or He understood that, you know, you you want, you needed to grow up, you were a young man. Um, But when it came to things like that and preparation for games, and we wouldn't be negligent or anything, I like was just having a, a quiet game of golf, but he just didn't like... Lads, he, when we, we we were in buggies as well, so it wasn't like we were walking around for four hours. But he was just like, no, not playing golf, get off the course. And so you you listened and did as you were told, basically. But yeah, he was he was very fair, and that's like just a great guy to to be uh, to to have as your manager.
0: Uh, and Chris, you went pro with Manchester United at the age of seventeen, and um, you made your first team debut in a League Cup game against Port Vale in nineteen ninety four. Um, and in that side was David Beckham, Paul Scholes, Brian McClaire, Gary Pallister, Nicky Butt, Keith Gillespie, and David May. Um, so, two questions about that. So, firstly, how did that feel when you finally broke into the first team? And also, you know, were you phased at all by playing with, with those sort of players in the first team? Uh, what was that experience like for you?
2: Yeah. It was a brilliant experience, Mark, because um, we'd been prepared. We'd pre- or we had been prepared for it since you know we, we we signed as as young players, young scholars, YTS as it was in those days, because every game they play for United is a big game. Everybody wants to beat you, so you know you've got to be prepared for that. And like I said, going back to what the manager says, it's a privilege to play for the club. And then in the Youth Cup uh, run, we played at Roker Park, we played at Old Trafford. Uh, Sellers Park, um, Main Road, White Hart Lane. So you were always playing in, well, not always playing in, but you'd experienced big games and big crowds. And, um, you know, we played we, the, the year after we, we lost to to Leeds over two legs in front of 70,000 people. Uh, and it was live on Sky. So going into a game like it was at Port Vale at Old Trafford in front of 40,000 was still daunting and you're making your debut but you kind of you know you trained regularly with these lads with Gary Pallister and Brian McClare and people like that so again you were just part of the team and it was the next part of the development really so um, yeah it was an exciting an exciting time and, and you know fond memories of that game and in particular I think uh, um, we were the game two 0 uh, Brian McClair took the ball off me. I was about to score, so not forgiving Chucky with that one. But yeah, it was a it was a good time, and yeah, it was just part, like I say, part of the next step. Uh, and the majors, really the next steps.
0: Yeah, did you see yourself at that point going on to establish yourself in the side after that? I mean, we all know how fantastic those players were, and and the, and the careers that that they had um, with with Man United and and England and so on. But did you did you feel quite confident that you could get to a point where you could actually you know hold down a first team place, or did you know, know that that was going to be a big challenge for you?
2: Yeah, no, I always knew it would be a big challenge. Um, you know, when he, the manager at the time had signed signed David May, uh, Ronnie Johnson, I think was just signing, obviously. You got Dennis Irwin, who was one of the best left backs in Europe at the time, he was an unbelievable player. Paul Parker was again fantastic player, and then you got uh, Steve Bruce and Gary, Gary Pallister, who was still there, so it was always going to be tough. Obviously, Gary Neville was coming through as well, and then a couple of years behind us, Wes Brown. Um, so it, 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 did you fancy yourself to play and would you have performed? Yeah, you would have done, but. Like I say, you were up against some unbelievable players and ultimately I didn't play as many games as I wanted to and I thought I should have done but that's the manager's decision and that's football and um, I did actually start the season that season really well at, um, I was involved regularly with the first team squad in the, in the pre-season friendlies in a pre-season tournament at Rangers I think Eric Eric got sent off against Rangers for a, a pretty shocking tackle, a two-footer tackle on Steven Presley and Um, so I was part of it and then right at the start of the season I I did my ankle ligaments really badly and came back and even the Port Vale game I wasn't right but because the manager was putting his young sorry his his faith in the young players and giving them a chance kind of declared myself fit and I was nowhere near fit I didn't really do myself justice I probably should have been out another couple of well at least another couple of weeks if not a month Um, and obviously the lads went in and did ever so well so but I can't complain I got a fair crack of the whip and you know but like I said when you're up against some of the the players that you were up against it's uh, it was always going to be tough
0: And you had loan spells at at Bournemouth and Swindon and as a Reading podcast we'll we'll gloss over that bit if that's okay Um, and then in uh, 1998 you you joined Reading on loan and I just wondered at that time did you think that you know potentially was just going to be another loan spell or or were you keen and you know determined to convert that into permanent move
2: No I'd got to the stage of my career 98, so I was 23, and i played, I think I'm the record holder for the amount of reserve games played for a Man United player or something like that. I won't be far off anyway. And um, uh, it just got to the stage where I needed a career, and the manager had kept me back because of the European situation. Um, we were at a time when uh when we first got given the chance, really in Europe, uh, with the five European player rule so you could you were only allowed five european players in your squad and that included uh the scottish players and the irish players the welsh players etc so uh, that's why we got really you know fast tracked into the first team and the first team squad and the manager kept me around for that um you know I made my european debut in vienna um but again it wasn't satisfactory for me i need, i knew i needed a, a career and going to Bournemouth in 96 and then obviously Swindon in 97 Give me a taste of regular first-team football and I wanted that. So when the chance and the opportunity came to come to Reading, um, you know, it was a no-brainer, first and foremost, to come down and, and play play some games. And obviously it worked out well. The first, um, I think it was the first month, first six weeks, had some decent results and the manager wanted to sign me. But once I saw, when I met Tommy and... Um, uh, Pat Bonner and Steve Keen at, at the Majeski Stadium. It was like wow, you know, it was uh, a very pretty impressive place. And as soon as you know the, the offer came through, that you know, would, would you sign permanently? Then it was a bit of a no-brainer, really, because you could see the club was going in the in the right direction.
0: Yeah, and you signed for Reading in November '98 for <laughs> three hundred thousand pounds, which to any any young fans probably doesn't sound like much, but it was. You know, quite big money back in those days, wasn't it? And and, and you played um, as you wanted to. You played regularly for, for just over a year before you had that serious injury against Cardiff, and, and we'll come to that. But um, before that, how how do you feel that you settled in at Reading? And, and also, um, you know, when you sort of celebrated your first anniversary, if you like, at Reading, did you see yourself at that point staying on for longer at Reading? Or... Did you still have ambitions to play at a higher level?
2: Yeah, so I, when I signed in November, I signed for three and a half years. Um, so again, at that level in League One, it was a pretty long contract. Um, you know. And again, I always took with Sir Alex Ferguson's saying about it's a privilege to play for a club, and it was to, to be offered such a contract. Uh, so it was an honour and a privilege to, to get that um i i wasn't happy with playing or i wasn't satisfied with playing in league 1 but that was because you know i saw myself as a as a, well, I played in the premier league and wanted to play play back in the premier league but i saw that journey back with Reading. it wasn't with another club I, you know i could see the the, the the players that were getting signed i could see the investment in the in the club and obviously in the ground and the training ground etc um, so I genuinely thought that, after a you know a year or so that that ambition to play back in the championship first and foremost obviously and then get back into the Premier League was going to be with Reading. and um, I think probably three or four years later that would have come come true and, and whatever but obviously for the injury that that didn't happen but um, yeah that was always the that was always the ambition and and, and the and the main focus of, of signing for Reading. it wasn't to Hang about in League One because it's uh, it wasn't the, it, with all respect, it wasn't the most inspiring of leagues. Like I say when you played in the in the in the Premier League and you know not trying to sound big headed or anything, like that that was what I wanted to do and where I wanted to play. Uh,
0: and and Johnny, uh, I'd like to sort of bring you in now to ask Chris about his time at Reading, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll come on to the the injury in, in a bit because it's obviously a big part of uh, Chris's life. Um, you know that uh, that tackle that ended his playing career. But Johnny, what what do you want to ask Chris about his time at Reading? That that kind of year as a player at Reading.
1: When you go from the biggest club in the world to the biggest club in Berkshire, Chris, how, how big a challenge is that to fit in? You know, I think he um, played with you at England, didn't he? Yeah, is
2: that
1: correct. Um, yeah, Darren. When, yeah. You come yeah. In, when you come into. A, a new club like that. How <clears throat> how easy is it to fit in, especially you know, you're now moving down, you know, from Manchester down to a different town. How that process is it something that is it takes a while
2: to fit in, or do you
1: do you know obviously the new Darren, but did you know other people there as well that made it easier or
2: Yeah, I think I think having the lawn, Johnny helped. So I was settling in for a for a couple of months helped. Uh it's a obviously moving, you know, three hours away from, I'm from Burnley. So moving from Burnley down to, down to Redden. I actually, I was getting married in the summer uh, in, uh, in 99. Uh, sorry, I got married in the summer 99. And, um, you know, again, moving my, uh, my girlfriend, as she was at the time and my, 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 wife, my future wife um down to, you know, to, to a different area of part of the country was obviously a big change um, I moved up towards more up towards uh, the, the the west where my wife was working in Bristol, so I had to move kind of move in between. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but when I moved when I came into the dressing room, obviously I played with Darren. Um, I played with uh, Grant Bremner at United as well, so um, so I knew a couple of the, knew a couple of lads already in there. And I think the one reason, one of the main reasons for me signing uh, was Tommy Burns as well. Tommy was uh, such a, a great guy, a football guy. Um, you know, it didn't quite work out for him at Reading. Uh, but I remember playing against one of his teams when I was at United in a, in a testimonial against Celtic and they were a fantastic team. And I think he, he wanted to replicate that and it was always going to take time. and He did have some young players in there. And it didn't quite work for for Tommy, and I was gutted when he eventually left the club uh, because he was a, a, a great coach, really good guy, genuine football guy. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a it was a different, obviously, type of environment to the, than what I was used to. Uh, there'd been a lot of change at the club, and they just moved into the Majeski that year. So again, that's a massive change for the club, moving from Elm Park where you've been for probably a hundred years into a fantastic stadium like that. And, you know, then time think, kind of things take time to embed into the club as well. So it was a big change for everybody. Um, but I settled in pretty well, to be fair. Like I say, I enjoyed myself. And, um, you know, when I, when it came to to be offered a, a professional, uh, sorry, a, a, a full-time, you know, to to move there full-time permanently, it was a no-brainer for me. I signed straight away.
1: And Alan, how Alan you came in? How was that... You as a player compared to having you know Tommy that signed you and Alan's still fairly new in his career under his management.
2: Yeah, so um Alan had been there the year before in the reserves. I think he was taking the reserves the year before, and um I got to know him a little bit whilst he was there as a coach in the reserves, did a few sessions with him. I think he took a few sessions. I think i, I pulled my hamstring just after Christmas and um so sort of coming back from injury, joining in with the reserve team lads and, and whatever. And he was a really good coach. And, you know, when Tommy left, I thought it was a really good fit for the club. And um, he brought in a, a fantastic guy in John Gorman, very experienced, really good football man. Um, and it didn't quite, I don't think it quite worked to begin with. And then I, it was. I think the, John's last game might have been the game that I got injured in because I think Martin came in soon after that. Martin Allen, um, but Allen was a you know he, he had a pretty successful time at, at Reading after a shaky start. I think I think that's fair to say. Uh, he was a very good coach, very know, knowledgeable about the game. Um, I, I got on with him really well. I thought he was a good good guy. To be fair,
0: uh, and Chris, um, obviously, with you know we wanted to come to this, take us back to to that day, Boxing Day 1999 and, and that tackle in the game against Cardiff that, that ultimately ended your career. So that was 23 years ago now, but how often do you kind of relive that game and that moment in your mind? Does that Do you still sort of think about that these days?
2: Yeah, I, I, I probably th- I think about it. I mean, I, my, my, people might not be able to believe it, but- I think about it most days it's, believe it or not it's something that crosses your mind um, or I think I think about it most days it might not be it might be every week or something like that but it's still very still very fresh um, yeah the, it, I think it was a Sunday um, there was a lot of ifs and buts you know it, it was a why did we kick off at? I think it was a one, it was either 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock pick off why you know you wouldn't normally play on a Sunday at 12 o'clock um, you know, why did I do this? Why did I do that? And it's been a struggle at times to to answer those questions because ultimately it was my last game that I ever played. I was 24 years old and right from, you know, when I could kick a ball and, you know, run basically and walk about, you know, my dad was a footballer and football was ingrained in my life and was part of the household culture that Saturdays was every, every Saturday in this football season was was football playing for the school team, the town team, the county team, coming through United, and then you know, like I said, just one one incident, and you know, the plan that you've got to play for for the next fourteen years, really, to play till you're thirty seven, thirty eight, is ended when you're twenty four, um, and like I say, if it was your if it was your own do. Win, then it might be a little bit easier but when it was done in the way that it was done, makes it, you know, more difficult to to deal with. And there has been times when I've struggled with it a little bit, um, you know. But you've got to tell yourself that's the hand you dealt with. Him, you've got to get on with it. And um, you know, but it's been tough sometimes to get your head round. And it's, it's always a case of what if? You know, a lot of my friends played till they were thirty six, thirty seven. Yeah. Played till the forty, forty one. Um, you know, to have that taken away from in the way that it was, was pretty difficult sometimes to deal with.
0: And, and how tough was it for you when, obviously, I, I guess at the time you thought, right, I'm going to, you know, come back from this and resume my playing career. But then it got to a when, point when you realised, that's it, that's the end of my playing career. How difficult, how tough was that when you eventually accepted that, you weren't going to play again.
2: Yeah, it, it was um, the 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 injury it seemed at the start seemed to be pretty straightforward. It was a straight snap of my shin and my, my tib. Well, you, you, you've got two shin, but uh, two bones in your in your in your shin, your tibia and your fibula. Tibia, the tibia is your your main weight-bearing bone, which is the big bone that runs uh, from your knee down to your to your foot, and that that healed straight straight away. Uh, my fibula didn't heal, uh, and they never treated my fibula. It was told just to leave it, and it would heal on its own. It never did, <clears throat> and ultimately, I had to have a, a bone graft on 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 that uh, on that bone. There was complications with my ankle as well that wasn't picked up at the time, um, so the ligament holding my ankle to my to my to the bottom of my uh, fibula basically just kind of exploded with the with the impact of the injury Uh, and there was uh, injury to my knee as well my my, my posterior cruciate which wasn't a major injury but was still in there Um, so when I was looking to come back normally the time frame for an injury like I'd got was around about six months which led me into pre season which meant that you know I would I'd have been ready for pre season but I got complications with my ankle I couldn't get on my toes. Uh, And like I say, it was only through having the metal work out in my leg that they could scan me and see that the amount of damage that had gone on uh, in my ankle, um, that was healed really through a a cortisone injection. And after 14 months, I came back and and tried to play again and got back to playing training, playing with the reserves. Uh, But I'd still got a gap in my fibula, which wasn't healing. I tried everything. I tried to, uh, what you call an exogen machine was supposed to induce bone growth and that just didn't work as well. So I eventually just tried playing with it and it just got to a stage where I was in so much pain and just getting even the slightest knock. I was, I was ultimately still playing with a broken leg and I got these specially made shin pads made for me and things like that. I tried everything. Uh, and it was just one day, one Friday morning, that I wasn't really affecting the, the first team um just went to strike a ball and there was no conviction with it. And I'd just seen just seen a couple of the younger lads look over to me and like they looked at me and I never forget the look on their faces and they never said anything. You know, they you know, they were very respectful, but I just looked at them and I thought, I'm kidding myself here. And i never gone into training thinking that I was gonna retire or I was gonna speak with the manager about it. And it was just that one instance that made me feel I lost my self esteem or I'd lost my self esteem a long time ago before that. And I just looked to myself and I said, I said, you know, I just walked in the dressing room. I was out kicking a ball with Eddie Williams and Nicky Forster, like we did before training and warming up and whatever. And I just walked into Alan and just knocked on his door and just said, Alan, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have to go home. And you said, listen, get yourself home. Think about it. I think it was a Friday. It was the day before a game. Have a think about it over the weekend. I speak to me Monday and I had a chat with my wife and whatever and my dad and my family and, that was it. I, my mind was made up. I knew I was never going to play again. That was cause I was uh, two years in and I needed a bone graft. That would have been a, 10 months out. So I was old, nearly three years into an injury, which not just physically, mentally really scarred me as well. And, you know, that was kind of how it worked out really. I'd not made any, you know, it wasn't like a, a long drawn out process of thinking about retiring and whatever. I was 26, uh, but it just suddenly hit me that the, you're kidding yourself and you know, I had to move on and it was very tough. Um not not gonna not gonna lie. Had a lot of dark days and dealing with that was, was pretty pretty bad at times, but like I say you, you you speak to people and you realise that there's far worse people off than you, and you kind of deal with the hand that you've you've been dealt, really.
0: and and you actually you took the Cardiff player to court, didn't you? And and I, I think it took uh, about four years to to eventually win the case, but, but you did. So, you know, how, how did you feel when, when you did eventually win that case? And was there some sort of closure in that, at the end of that process for you?
2: No, I felt nothing from when the the case got closed to the day before, when it was, you know, it was still ongoing. There was, there was no emotion to it. Um, It was, yeah, I wouldn't say it was closure. Uh, Um, I suppose well i suppose it 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 was a you know the the case was was closed although for the next two years it, it, they were still dealing with other things with the with the barristers and things like that so it didn't actually get closed on that day um but it probably allowed me to move on with my life to a certain degree but yeah it it, it was never a closure with regard to you know, satisfying what I wanted to do in life. And that was to play football. And that was the, the only the only good thing about it was that I didn't have to go through any more of the court case and speaking with solicitors and barristers and dealing with all that and having that, you know, issue in my life that was actually out of it. That's, you know, from from that day on. So that was the only thing really, but there was no, you know, it was still, an, you know, there was, it wasn't was any great uh, feeling at all. I wouldn't say that, no.
0: Uh, and since then you you went on to work as a coach with with team bath with berry um you mentioned bradford and grimsby as well and and you've worked with the premier league to to help support clubs with the development of academies uh, and you're now director of football at, at salford city um given where you are now and that you've been able to stay in in football and what you've done since the injury all those years ago which um it's more than 23 years now do you think um you know achieving what you've had in the game since the injury has has that sort of in a way helped make it easier for you in recent years to put things into perspective with your playing career ending so early do you think
2: yeah i suppose you know the playing's always the ultimate pinnacle in a in a player and and a Professional, sorry, uh, but still being part of the game's been a massive part. I it. mean, you know, like I say, it's what I grew up with in our house with my dad and that. And to be able to stay in the game's been a been unbelievable for me because, you know, going into coaching at, at Team Bath because that's where I was living up towards Bath University. Uh, been involved in a in a great project like that, uh, and then you know managing Bury when when I was third I was the youngest manager in the league at the time so yeah it was um it, it's it's the second best thing to to play and and being involved and staying involved and actually you know coaching people and especially coaching you know young players has been a such a you know a a real um a joy at times, you know. It's fantastic to see players, especially make the first team debut and be successful, and you know play a part in. You know, we, we took at Bury, we took Casper Schmeichel, um, you know Dale Stevens played in the Premier League. Dale was an under sixteen, got released from Man City, give him his debut, gives Casper his debut. Nicky Adams, who went on to play hundreds of games, and you know all these players that keep in contact with us as well. And it's it was that, that's the that's the rewarding. Part of it, um, and then going on to the to the Premier League, we, you know, it's uh, it wasn't everybody's favourite project. Wasn't the E Triple P, but the system had to change. there was no question about it. The, the the system was flatlining, and this gave it a real turbo boost. To be fair, and give it the the rocket that it needed. And it was a change that, like, what happens all the time. We've changed people either get on board with it, or you know, they fight against it, and. You know the people that got on board with it have seen the real benefits to it. I think there's been there's still issues with it to a certain degree. I think the games program at the higher end, but I'm not particularly sure how you how you you fix that. But there's so many good things have come out of it. You know, facilities and access to players and training, uh contact time with players, education, fantastic. You know, it's been it was great to be part of, and like I said to change a system was was challenging at times, but you come across. In academy football, you know some fantastic people. You know, like Paul McGuinness at Man United, and you know Eamon Dolan at uh, at Reading was a fantastic guy, really, really super guy. Sadly missed. Um, you know, and was a real advocate for for the for for the E Triple P and the development of young players because he saw the benefit of it. And I come across good people like that was 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 great for me. So. Obviously missing the the playing side of it, career and everything. But, you know, you've got to make the most of, you know, that, like I said, I keep saying, but the hand that you dealt and dust yourself down, you've got to get on with it and can't feel sorry for yourself. And, you know, like I said, do the next best thing and that's, you know, stay in the game and do what you enjoy doing, coaching and helping, you know, players to develop.
0: Uh, And Johnny, do do you want to come in? Have you got another question for Chris?
1: I just want to say, because you, know, you were actually a tough player for us when, you. before that injury. You know, you, you, it was a, such a shame you know, to see your career cut short like that. But like as a young player back then, for so youngsters now, what advice do you give? You know, I guess money's different now, the exposure and everything about it. What would your advice be?
2: I think the most important thing is, there's a couple of things. One is work hard. Absolutely, you know, and it sounds the obvious thing to do, but really just throw yourself and commit to it. Um, two is be honest, be humble, uh, you know, listen to your coaches. I think probably the most important thing is three, enjoy it. You know, that's that's the thing where, you know, going back, playing football in the playground or on the streets and things, that's why we were in the game. And I think sometimes we do have to be careful that young players aren't treated like young pros and everything's professionalized and you know in certain clubs my, my you know my, my son's at, at Burnley now he's in the under 18s or under 21s um in a you know and, and trains a lot with the with the first team and you know I always that was one thing he's always been taught right from you know when he was in a, an under 12 when he joined as an 11 year old that Enjoy it. That's the most important. I always says, you know, the last thing I always say before he plays is go and enjoy yourself. That's because it can be a short career, um, you know. And and that's that's how you that's how you learn. And like I say, stay humble, listen to your coaches. Um, you know, because there are a lot more distractions I think these days, Johnny, than when you know we were growing up. And you know, it's about staying focused, working hard. You know, and you know that you will have. Um, you know there will be blocks in the road, and you know you'll have to cut, overcome certain things, and you know throughout your career, and that, that's that's what it's that's what football's all about. That's what makes you a better player and taking on those challenges. But like I say, just enjoying yourself, working hard, uh, and, and like I say, staying humble and, and honest and, and respectful to the to the coaches that you're working with and your teammates.
0: Uh, and uh, Chris D- Dylan. Um, often talks about how good the dressing room banter was at his time at Reading. Um, I think part of the reason for that was a lot of it came from him to be fair, but um, what he he wanted me to ask you obviously about your time at Man United and what that was like then, but also at Reading. So who, who would you say um, were the big characters at at Reading in the dressing room at, at that time? You mentioned people like AD Williams and that already who, who, Who would you say were some of the biggest characters at your time at Reading?
2: Yeah, you got, you know, one of the biggest characters and most influential, believe it or not, was, you know, Linvoy Primus, who was probably one of the most quietest. But Linvoy, led by example, you know, great pro. And I think if anybody made the most of what, you know, they'd got, Linvoy had a fantastic career. Um, You know, he was, you know, unbelievably strong technically, great in the air, um, you know, read the game well, but just again, going back to being hum- humble and honest, such a genuinely good, lovely guy was Linvoy, but you wanted him in the trenches alongside you. And, you know, people talk about leadership and things like that. He, he led by example, did Linvoy. And then you got, you know, other characters. Barry Hunter was there. Barry had a, you know, great character and personality. I just mentioned AD. Um, and when I was injured, got. You know, got to know Ad uh, pretty well with Nicky Forster because they had both had pretty bad knee injuries. Um, so got to know, got to know the. You know, we worked, we worked hard together. We, we really drove, drove each other forward, and in the gym and things like that. Um, yeah, then you'd got obviously Darren Caskey. Darren was a an experienced player, even as a young player. You know, he played a lot of times for Tottenham and, and things like that. So. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a good dressing room, and then, like I said, they added some really good players. Martin Butler came; it uh, was a, you know, top player. Jamie Curriton, Eddie Vavash, um, you know, some some really good players to for that division. Um, so yeah, it, again, the, the standards were driven by the people in the dressing room really, rather than the coaches and the manager.
0: Uh, and, and Chris, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. We appreciate all the all the time you've spent with us so far, but just, just a little bit really about, um, you know, perhaps you could tell us a, a bit like, it. And are you director of football or is it sporting director? What's your actual title at Salford City?
2: Yeah, sporting director. yeah.
0: Okay, all right. So um, yeah, my mistake. I called you director of football earlier. I, I don't know what the difference is, but hopefully, can it's you civil. kind of elaborate on that? What what your how what does that role look like?
2: Yeah, so so basically, you're overseeing all the football side of the club. Um, in a lot of a lot of clubs, this sporting director, technical director, is misconstrued as a head of recruitment, and it's not. You're there to oversee all the football aspects of the club. You're there as a support to the head coach or manager, uh, the head of recruitment, the head of sports science, the head of the academy, the head of the ladies' team, the head of the B team, uh, and there to give them as much resource and help and support as possible, albeit on the side of the club where you've got the financial you know, um, uh, obligations and you know, you've got to you've got to make sure that, like, I say, from a budget perspective, you're staying within the budgets of the club and things like that. So it's getting a fine balance of giving the staff as much as help and support as possible from a resource and a finance financial perspective, but ensuring from a business side that there's still that responsibility, you know, from the from the board that you know it's all over, been overseen in a in a you know as as functional way as possible and and runners. Um, you know, as as well as possible, really, and you're there as that middle person in between those staff and and the board to to report up and down, really. Um, hopefully, that, that kind of just gives it a brief, you know, overview. But yeah, just having that 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 support really, where the manager or the head coach, like I say, can get on with their job. Like I was, like I say, in the past, Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex, would do everything. I think the games changed now, so. Neil now can really focus on what he's really, really good at and that's Neil Wood, that's um, you know, coaching players, working on the training ground and not having to worry about having to, you know, the other things of dealing with agents, dealing with the board and the owners and things like that. That's that's my role basically. So um and again, like I say, just providing the support that everybody else needs, the performance services and and the academy and the B team, and helping to get those players out on loan if they need games and things like that. So, lots of things right across the football aspect of the club is is the is the role really. And like I say, I, I think in a lot of cases it's just a matter of well, you're kind of the head of recruitment and you you know you bring the players in and that's it. It's it's not. It's just a I wouldn't say a small part. It's a it is a, a part of it, but there's lots of other parts to the to the role
0: and um of course um your your former colleagues david beckham gary neville and, and other players that you played at um played with at united when you came through they're co-owners so what what's that what's that like for you you know in terms of working with them and are you do you speak with with them on a regular basis how how's that work for you
2: yeah um gary's the 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 most well, I will not say see anyone but obviously the, uh, he's, he's kind of like the lead although it's changed slightly with Nicky coming in as chief exec now uh, Ryan coming in as um, uh, into the first team as well as a, as a as a director of football as well so to speak alongside alongside Neil so they're more visible now uh, Ryan and Nicky, whereas you know for probably the first five years it was myself and Gary and and the chairman. Uh, and these guys were you know they'd got other jobs obviously you know Ryan was manager of was at United manager of Wales Nicky was at United Scholes he was manager of Oldham and Phil's out in Miami and with with David doing what what he's doing all over the place and so um, yeah it's we we are friends but at the same time you know we've got um, you know responsibility to the club and we've got a job to do and we're professional you know in the way that we do it and you know, we're all we've all we're all striving to be successful in the right way and you know, we're we're all trying to achieve this the same thing. So um it does help at times knowing you know in the knowing the lads who you're working with, them, I've known them, like I say for thirty years, but there's never any you know, you, you don't take advantage of that. Um, you know, like I say you're professional and you do your job as as well as if you were if were, if you were working for other owners.
0: Uh, and, and let's talk about the, the current Reading side now, if that's all right. And Chris, um, I just wondered, given your ties, of course, with United and Reading uh, and what happened to you um, on Boxing Day in 1999, what's your What's your take on the Andy Carroll tackle in Reading's FA Cup tie against Man United? Because there was a bit of controversy about that. And obviously, you know, I'm guessing based on your experience, you you want to see certain tackles, you know, not not a part of the game anymore. But what, what was your what was your take on that? Was it a, a a bad tackle? Was it just badly timed? What are your thoughts on it?
2: I'm going to sound a bit Arsene Wenger here, Mark, but I didn't see it. I, I didn't see the game. I'll be honest with you. I, I spoke with Eddie before the game, ady Williams, but I didn't actually see the game. Um, I mean, as far as you know, tackling's concerned, I, I think you don't want to see tackling taken out of the game. You don't want to see heading taken out of the game, but I can understand, you know, why that might happen. Um, You know, the impact of, you know, heading so many balls throughout the years and, you know, the the outcome that that might, uh, that that occurs. So I I, I get that, but I think every professional footballer, when you step onto a pitch, has a responsibility and a duty of care to everybody else. Now, there's times when, you do have to be physical with people. Andy's, you know, had a reputation for, you know, since he was a kid, have been that kind of a player. And you don't want to take that out of the game because that's why we all love the game. We, you know, we all love the hustle and bustle of big, strong strikers and, you know, a 50, 50 in the middle of the park with, you know, our grew watching Brian Robson, Graham Sooners and, you know, people like that and, you know, running all over each other, but no quarter given, no quarter asked. And, it was fair, but it was tough. And I think so long as it doesn't overstep a certain line, then that's what you want to see in the game. You know, that's we want that's what we want the British game to look like. It might look different elsewhere, but that's that's what we are. That's our heritage and our history. And we don't want to take that out of the game. But like I say, there's a fine line between being competitive and tough and you know, overstepping the mark and, and trying to injure someone. Now, like I say, I've not seen the tackle. Um, you know, speaking from experience and the, the tackle, though, you know, the the challenge that got put on me by Richard Carpenter overstepped the mark. And like I say, you don't want to see that. So um, it's just getting it. it we, but again, we've got to make sure that, you know, with VAR, I mean, that drives me absolutely spared as that. I mean, the, 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 so many replays and they've got access to, you know, Having looked back at incidents and things like that, and they still can't get it right, and it's just absolutely nonsense. It really does, it does make it drives me mad. But you know, we don't want to see the physical side of the game coming out of the game. There's no question about that. But like I say, so long as it doesn't overstep the the, the line.
0: Uh, and Johnny, as as far as um, Reading is concerned, this this week, a lot of the focus has been on. Uh, what Paul Inch said to journalists after the defeat at Cardiff. Um, what, what did you make of all of that?
1: Yeah, was, um, like, that's his job and he's to say what he wants. I, I find it sometimes very negative and that negativity can rub off on players. Um, you know, I think is upbeat and positive. Uh, I, you know, I'm sure Chris has worked with different people and different approaches. And I'm sure there's so many different ones out there. But I think you know, as a Reading fan, you want us to see us going forward and looking up rather than that kind of defensive, negative. You know, we'll know we're in a position. Why? It... All of that stuff, we get it. But we're on about the team, on the pitch, on the day. Let's let's look at you know what that is and, and build the players up rather than kind of take, let, you know, if they're
0: making stuff, it's their fault, not mine. And I, I don't kind of agree with that at all. Uh, and chris just just wanted to ask you about reddin's current situation as, as your former team i mean one one of the views is that this season with the transfer embargo and and everything else you know and and what happened last season um you know it, uh, one of the sort of views is that it is all about staying up for reddin' uh, and if paul ins achieves that it will be mission accomplished what what's your you know as somebody who's involved in the day to day running of a football club and understanding you know what the media wants and um you know what the objectives are and the targets and all that sort of thing what what's your take on Reading's current situation
2: yeah i think like i say with the embargo and the restrictiveness that that brings mark that, that you know if if in. Keeps reading in the division, then you kind of move on from there, and you learn from the mistakes and what's happened this season. And you know, because there's no question, you know, Reading's been in the in the Premier League, you know, recently, and the, the, there's no there's no reason why you know they shouldn't get there again. Um, but the Championships are a really tough, compromising league, is no doubt about it. And if you don't get that right, you don't get the players right, you don't get the recruitment right, then it's going to be really, really tough. Um, I think Paul's probably working with you know within the constraints that he's got. Um, you know, I think I think they'll be fine. I think you know I think with looking at the squad, I think uh, more than capable of, of staying up. And like I say, sometimes you have just got to consolidate for a year, end of the, get to the end of the season, then reset. And you know, but what's the aspiration of the club? Is that the aspiration to carry on year in year out? just to be a championship club because ultimately if that's the case you know people now are looking at again looking at my hometown Burnley the there was a massive change in the style and the culture uh, I think someone like 18 of the club and 16 came in last year with with Vinnie and that and um you know it's it's taken the taking it onto a completely different level and the style of football, from previous years and Sean Dice did a, an absolutely amazing job with what he'd got and again that's what Paul's got to deal with he's got to deal with the resources that he's got however like I say if he can reset in the summer and if there can be that investment into the squad then I see no reason why Reading can't be a, a top six club and get back you know challenging to get into the Premier League um,
0: and Johnny final one for you before we finish off it's Blackpool on Saturday and uh, obviously, there there is a bit of doom and gloom around the club again at the moment. Um, you know, we saw that this time last year, didn't we? Um, so, you know, obviously, it'd be nice, wouldn't it, to to get a win uh, and lift some of that, uh, you know, that mood around the club at the moment. What what's your thoughts on what we might expect on on Saturday?
1: That'd be tough. But McCarthy's teams are always hard to beat. We will know that, you know. But I think, you know, i Recent games, we're not starting off positive. You know, the, the the Watford game, I was at, you know, for 16 minutes, we sat back, very negative, two 10-0 down. Then we got the goal, and it's a different game.
2: You're at home.
1: I mean, we've got a great home record. Thankfully, you know, our away form is absolutely abysmal. But you just think, like, Saturday's almost like a cup final. Win that game, and that pretty much would ensure safety. Lose it. The, the nerves start again. You know, the gaps get... <laughs> So, you know shorter to the bottom teams, but they you know who knows we can you know the 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 championship's one of the most unpredictable leads
0: um so you know
1: i'm I'm hopeful that we'll get three points
0: well, I'm gonna end on a positive note because we've actually got more points already than than we we got in, in in all of last season, so that's my positive note to end on um and that's all we've we've got time for really appreciate you being on as a guest, Chris. Um, And our next episode is available to listen to on Monday evening from 8pm. And we'll be talking about Reading's game against Blackpool, hopefully a win. Plus, our special guest is former crew defender and manager David Artell, who will be focusing on the pressures of being a modern day manager and discussing the, the type of pressure that Paul Ince might be under as the current Reading manager. And he's also got Um, one of those funny stories that we love about martin allen so looking forward to that so join us for our next episode anytime after 8 p.m on monday and all that leaves me to say is a massive thank you to chris thanks for your time chris um thank you for being our special guest tonight thank you johnny and good luck dylan for sunday and come on you ours
1: sports social podcast network